Yeah, I find that also so interesting because when you think of sustainability, I mean, of course, uh, the entire company often revolves around having the finances in place, but you don't always associate someone from finance holding sustainability information. Hi there, and welcome to EcoChain's Got Data webinar. I'm your host, Hani Larma, and this is where we come to you with our very practical knowledge sharing interviews. They were originally recorded during our live webinars and are also available on our YouTube if you prefer to watch them. Here we speak with our own environmental specialists and awesome clients about what is possible in the world of improving your product's environmental footprint. Stay tuned. So thank you everybody for joining our data collection webinar for environmental footprinting. Uh, it's really nice to, to see so many people coming for the webinar and that are interested in learning more about this topic. We want to tell you a little bit more about who should actually be involved in data collection in your company, what type of data do you need and from who, and how are you actually going to collect this data. We're also going to be doing a Q&A at the end. So our speakers today are our lovely Ike Bak, who is our environmental specialist here at EcoChain. So Ike, if you can shortly introduce yourself. Yes, of course. Hi, everybody. My name is Ike, as Hani said, I have a background in sustainable business and innovation. On a daily basis, I help clients in the modeling and calculating the environmental footprints of their products. Nice. And uh, of course, myself and the host, I'm Hani Larma. I'm working in the marketing team at EcoChain, and I'm also hosting our podcast called Speaking of Sustainability. Maybe some of you have already listened to some of our episodes. And then, of course, we have our moderator, Sasla Quist, who's a colleague of mine from the marketing team. So as I mentioned, she will be having a look at our Q&A chat as well as the normal chat to see what types of questions you guys have for us today. So hi, Sasla. Hello. Hi, everybody. I will be checking out all your questions and uh, really looking forward to also reading any comments you might have in the chat. Yeah. I'm also in the marketing team with Honey, and we can't wait to, to get this started. So let's do it. Lovely. So what we wanted to kind of start off with today is actually why do we need data in environmental footprinting and why is it so important to collect this data? So start us off with this question. Of course, Honey. Well, in Dutch, we have a saying, mate is beter. Yes, in English, measuring is knowing. And it's important, of course, to base your measurements on the data that you have. Otherwise, you cannot measure anything. So data collection is a really important part in yeah, having an environmental footprint or an impact. And it's actually creating a new data flow. So in your company, because sustainability data is not quite common yet. And that's why it's really important that you pay attention to this phase and stage. Right. And it's also, of course gives you knowledge on what you're actually measuring and, and, and where you are now, I think also in terms of if you're, for example, measuring to improve your products, your, your products to make them more sustainable, you need to have that real data to know how are you actually going to uh, improve the product and, and have that knowledge on everything that is happening within your product from its processes to all types of different things. Exactly. Nice. So. Next, I think it's really important to start off with who is actually responsible for collecting this data and the organization. So 
who should actually be the project owner and does this differ uh, from company to company? What have you seen in your conversations that you have with some of our clients? So what I often see is that there's a sustainability manager who is uh, in charge of this project and then they motivate and collect the right people who can join and deliver the data to the project. But what I also often see is that there's no sustainability manager available yet because it's a new topic in the company. And then often a very enthusiastic person who, who is passionate about sustainability takes on this role. But in the end, often you see that person evolve into a kind of sustainability manager in the end. I think it's, yeah, it's important to have people who are enthusiastic about the topic. If you don't have a sustainability manager, often a product manager, for example, could be this person. Yeah. And what if you don't have someone who yeah, is able to be the, the sustainability manager? Maybe you have different types of product owners, depending on what type of company it is. Are there some other people who could step in and actually help with this process? Yes, I think from fair tracing also, there's uh, some, in, uh, some people who be, can be found there because they have a lot of contact with the supplier and know a lot about the raw materials as well. But of course, yeah, the main thing that's important is that you're passionate about sustainability and that you get the time and resources for your company to, to spend on this project. Yeah. And I think it's also important to note that the person who we're speaking about now is going to be the person who is kind of the, the project owner. So the one that's starting the project within the company to do sustainability, but they might not be the person who actually maybe um, holds the data that you need to collect later on. So we'll talk about that a little bit later, but yeah, it's important to have that person who is the project owner to ensure that there is that, that focus on the project as well. Exactly. And the other departments that you see listed here, that's actually the department that holds the data. So you need to involve all the these departments in your kickoff, for example, for the project. But there should be one person, of course, uh, the pro project leader. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So next, so now we know who is the, the owner of that project, but what should that person actually be measuring? And again, does that differ from company to company? Yeah. How could you kind of explain the process of actually figuring out what you want to measure? Yes. Well, first you have to decide together with your project team, what's the scope of your project? So do you want to focus on a specific um, products that you have that you maybe want to develop into more sustainable products? Is it really an R&D assignment for your case? Or do you just want to measure your whole product portfolio? And that's more of the case for uh, large producing companies instead of uh, yeah, companies with a smaller product portfolio, for example. So that's also differs uh, from company to company. And that's good to have in mind. You can also do both at the same time, of course, if you have a large product portfolio, but also want to focus on specific products to develop further. And then after that, you have to decide which part of the life cycle do you want uh, to analyze. And you see here on the slide, you see a nice picture of the life cycle of the product. The most common one is cradle to gate. So that's the, the, the most centered one. And this means from raw material extraction, transport to your production facility and to the production processes. 
So really only the things that you as a company hold within your scope. And then you can also decide to go further with your scope and also includes the use and the end of waste phase. For these, these ones, you have to create scenarios based on what's common in your industry, but we'll also talk about that later a little bit more. And for maybe some people who are a bit more new to measurement, could you quickly uh, explain what you mean by scope? Yes, of course. So the scope is really which stages of the life cycle you want to include. So you see the five points in the, in the model. So the first one, raw materials, the second transports, the third one, production processes. And then you have a, a, a fourth, so it's a, the use phase and the end of life phase. It's the fifth then. Yeah. So it's important to, to determine, uh, before you start measuring, what do you actually want to, what do you actually want to measure? So is that the, indeed, as you mentioned, the individual products or your entire product portfolio? And then second to that, you also need to determine, uh, which parts of the product's life cycle are you actually measuring? Yes. Often what I recommend clients is first to focus on the product, uh, the cradle to gate, so the, the, the production uh, scope, uh, because that's the data you hold of your own company, uh, and then later add the use in the end of waste scenarios. So we know who is responsible, we know what we're measuring, and now it's time to create the project plan. So could you tell us about what is really important to uh, include in this plan and, and why is that, why are those things important? First of all, there's going to be a kickoff presentation with the entire responsible team and that you created. So everyone is aligned. What's the goal, the scope, repeating it, how does it work? Then there's going to be kind of training of how to do it in the tools, for example, and also the data collection phase that you see here. That's, that's usually the biggest and longest part of this whole scope and time frame. And that's why it's really important that you understand where you need to get the data from, who's responsible, and that they're all really aligned on which, which they need to deliver. Because if this uh, data collection phase um, it goes over time, then the whole project also uh, gets longer. So that's really good to have in mind. And this is a process that the client is really responsible for. So you in the company yourself. And we can, of course, support you with it, uh, with the questions on, oh, where do I find this data or who can I ask about this? But that's really something that you have to find out for yourself. Nice. And I think, yeah, that's so many good points there. And I think that what you were speaking about, about having all the, the timeframes in place and, and involving that entire team that you've built up, the, the sustainability project team, is so important because once you have everything in a structured way and you have these timeframes and you have the budget uh, set, it's also so much easier to get all the people within your company rallied together and working together. Because I, as I know, we've spoken about it before that, yeah, having the successful project plan is also about having the entire team on board and making sure everybody knows what's happening and when and what do you need from them at what time as well. Definitely. Yes. Sometimes I see uh, one very enthusiastic sustainability manager, but they didn't include then, for example, the right persons at the beginning of the project. And then it gets really difficult in the data collection phase. Right. So now it's time to talk about, we spoke about the person who is responsible and maybe some of the people who should be included in the team. 
But as I've also understood, there's different people who are responsible for the different data within the company. So could you elaborate a little bit about what data you need and from who specifically for the type of information you need? Well, we start at the energy uses, emissions and waste that's, that's created and used when you create the products that you make. And where can you get this data from? This is usually just from the finance departments, for example, because they have to pay the bills and also for the usages, emissions, waste, you also have to pay for that to be collected. So this is really where you can find it. And sometimes uh, when there's always al already a sustainability project running in your company, the sustainability department will also hold this data because you need it as well for other reports. Yeah, I find that also so interesting because when you think of sustainability, I mean, of course, uh, the entire company often revolves around having the finances in place, but you don't always associate someone from finance holding sustainability information. So I think that's also a really interesting point that you need to really involve departments like finance who, yeah, might not directly come to mind when you think of sustainability. That's true. So next up, we have the purchased and used raw materials that you use to create your products. So for example, if you buy steel or specific types of textiles, you buy them from suppliers, of course. And what we actually need from this part of the information is, okay, what type of material uh, does it consist of? So what type of aluminium, for example, what type of textile, is it cotton or is it uh, polyester? And what we then also want you to find out is where does it come from? So where is your supplier located, which city, which country, and how does it get to your production location? And this is actually very, you know, kind of funny practice in, the, in sustainability data, because what we always use is just Google Maps for this. And uh, if, if it's transported over sea or over inland water, we also have specific websites for that that are kind of like Google Maps, but then for waterways. Um, so yeah, this, this is information you usually can find with the purchasing departments because they have all the contacts with the suppliers, of course. Okay. And for someone who has never started this process before, how do you actually go about using Google Maps to, to gain this information? Well, first you create a list of all your suppliers. I hope that there's also a list of the location and the name of the, the, the company. But then you just go to Google Maps and you ask someone within your company, hey, can you fill out and uh, look it all up in Google Maps to our production location? Okay, so that's a pretty simple process in a way, even though yeah, it sounds quite a simple process, but if you have like 400 suppliers, it's, it takes a lot of time and that consuming. Yeah. I don't think people expect this. Yeah, no, it, it is quite surprising. So then we have the next step. So for the production processes you have in your production facility, we want to know about the energy uses, emissions and waste in which process and how is it distributed under the processes? That's what we want to know. And also which products go to which processes, because not each process, a product goes to the same production line in your company. And we want to know the different uh, the distribution types. Who can help with this is a process engineer and a product owner. So the product owner really knows, okay, where does it go? Uh, the product through the production line and the process engineer can tell you more about, okay, this process more energy intensive in this type of energies. And here comes a lot of waste free. So we already, of course, mentioned energy usage in a, in a different context in our first slide. 
So what is the difference when you're looking at per process and the previous energy usage, which was more the finance and, and that type of thing? Yeah, well, actually it's the same thing because you take the information from the slide one. So the, the total energy uses of the year, which you paid for, and you take that into consideration when you want to divide it over the processes. So for example, you have one total, you have three processes, you divide it over the processes. And that's what the process engineer can tell you how to do. So this one is just more of a zoomed in look at each different process and kind of allocating each of those, for example, energy usage to those processes that we're doing. Yes, that's exactly the point. Yeah. Perfect. So then next we have the product composition. And this is also often referred as to the building materials. And what we ask of you to, to provide here is actually kind of a recipe of your product. So for example, you have a chair made out of wood and, and steel, for example. Then we want to know how much kilograms of steel and how much kilograms of wood go in there. It's really just that simple. But again, you might su be surprised, not very, uh, not, sometimes it happens that companies don't have this available. Maybe the people listening and are thinking, hmm, do we have that available? But what also sometimes happens is that when you don't have it available, you just ask your suppliers. So that's why you need the purchasing department. And otherwise you just ask the product owner because they have a pretty good image of, about this. And if you go, don't get the information from these two people uh, or departments, you can always just get a measuring skill. And I've actually seen clients do this, just weigh every component of your product and place it on the scale and just write it down in the computer. That's always the, also an option. Yeah. I've heard you mention this before as kind of the, the recipe of your product, which I think is really kind of a uh, actionable way of looking at it. So when you're uh, building a product, that's like, what is, what recipe is this product made out of? What are the old components that it's built up of? So I think that's a really interesting uh, way of looking at that as well. Yeah. Nice. So this is indeed the, the wrap up of what is in the LCA. So the life cycle assessment and what needs to be included in that. So it is indeed a bit of a, a recap of everything that's in there, but maybe you can just give us a, a small uh, summary again. Yeah, definitely. So at point one, you see the company level, we want to know, uh, the year overview of all that you bought in. So the specific usages and emissions. So how much electricity, gas, diesel, water that you used, which kind of raw materials did you buy in? What are these materials exactly? What's the transport distances to your location? How much waste it generated? And what kind of emissions did you have in your production processes on a yearly basis? Then step two is the processes, which type of processes are there and what's the distribution of these usages and emissions over there. And here you can see, you can use the meters if you have those on the processes, often those are not there. So, and you need the process engineer. And then finally, the information about the product and uh, what is the product's name, for example, what's the weight, what's the units, do you use uh, square meters or kilograms? And then what's it made of? So what's the recipe? Okay. So we kind of have the, the beginning steps that we know who is responsible, what data we need. We know who owns the data and, and how you can get there. But where do you actually start from? Where do you start the measuring from? What is the beginning things that you really 
have to yeah get busy with. Yes, of course, this data collection phase, I just went quickly over all the things you have to do. But when you're collecting data, it keeps getting back and slowly some data gets in earlier than other data. And when do you really start? I would suggest always to start with the hotspots. So first focus on the products that sell the most or that you expect that have the highest impact, because those are the ones you want to first go into a bit more of a, of a higher overview. And if you say, okay, I see that this component has a really large environmental impact. I want to know more about it. Then it's worth the effort to go deeper into the details and ask your supplier more detailed information, way maybe more detailed the different components that are in there. And how do you find out what those impact hotspots or those, those components that you think have the largest environmental impact are? How do you find those ones out? Well, I think that's the, the, the items that you uh, sold the most of, that's a good way to start, but also a very generalistic view of the components, for example, that are in there. And then uh, you can do a quick hotspot analysis about that. And then the first preliminary results will show you uh, where to find more data. Yeah. So you kind of do that initial calculation and then through that calculation, you'll find out what you need more information on and what yeah. are the really important things that you need to collect further data and, and yeah, more information on. Exactly. And a tip is here, for example, uh, with transportation distances, I know that, uh, that some clients get lost in all the details and, uh, because they really want to know the specific kilometer specific, um, d details, but then I always suggest them if it's like five kilometers old, it's totally fine. But if, for example, the weighing of the materials in your product in the, in the recipe of your products are like more off, that's, that's more important. So uh, here I can also assist you, for example, in, in which choices you have to make here. Sometimes also want to request primary data. So we also, if you contact your suppliers, for example, for transportation distances or what's the specific raw material, you can also ask about primary data for their products that they deliver to you. And maybe your suppliers also did an environmental footprint analysis already, and they can share the data with you. And then you can really use the most specific data that's available that you buy in. And otherwise, when this is not available, you can choose gene more generic references from a uh, database, for example, EcoEvents database. So you, you speak a little bit about like the, if you have too little data or too much data, what's the, what's the kind of difference? So what can you do if you don't have that much data available? Is that then using those, those databases and what does that still give you? Yeah, that's a good question. If you have too little information, so for example, your suppliers don't have environmental profiles of their products, then you can use indeed the more generic references that are available in the database. And there you have like really generic references, like for the whole world, that's, that's representative for that, or you can have more specific references. So for example, if you buy uh, steel from Poland, you can, um, for example, choose that reference instead of the whole world's reference for steel. A little bit more specific, even in the more generic. And could you give a, an example of what is too much data? Because I think for a lot of people, it might sound like, okay, how can you have too much data on your products? Isn't that 
a good thing. Yes. It is a good thing if you have so much data available, but um, how much variance there is between your products, that's also something to take into account. Because what if you have, for example, 5,000 products, do you want to know the specific footprint of each product or do we have product categories that are really similar, just slightly off? Um, and in that case, you can create a representative category groups. And then the environmental impact data can differ 20% within the impact indicator groups for it to be representative. So you can also create those, those things that makes it a little bit more easy to understand. Do you have an example maybe of what could be, uh, that representative category, for example, in a, maybe a clothing brand, or is that like jeans or is it t-shirts? Is that like the two different representative categories, for example? Yes, I think jeans is still a bit too generic then, but maybe you can say, okay, jeans that are dyed with this specific paint or this specific process. So you can go a little bit more detailed, but not too much. And right. uh, there you need to take into account the hotspots. The final data dues. So <laughs> I think this is a, a little bit touching upon how we can get the best results from the data that we've collected. So what is a way to ensure the best success of our data collection and what we want to use it for in our end product? As I mentioned already, ask for specific data from your suppliers on the environmental impact of their products. That's uh, really important. Also, when you get that, often you uh, get lower or so to say better results for the environmental impact than when you're using more generic references. And when you want to use, also include the use and end of life scenarios for your product, then you can choose scenarios and then maybe based on your own expectations or, or what you have proven finds in you, for your products, or you can use industry standard reports. Nice. So I think also one of the important things to uh, take into consideration here, I mean, I think it does go along with each of the steps that we already uh, spoke about, but having a structure in data collection and with the data in general is super important. Can you tell us a little bit about why that is? Yes, definitely. Because you're getting your information and your data from all these kind of different departments in your company. It's really important that you have to do that in a structured way. So it can be repeated, for example, next year or the year after. Because if you want to improve your product's portfolio or your, or your separate products, you really need to repeat this exercise once in a while. And if your data collection is somewhat uh, vague or something, then you cannot repeat it exactly. And also everyone needs to know, okay, this is the data part I'm responsible for providing to the sustainability project. So that's, that's really important. And yeah, it's, it's good to keep in mind that you're really creating a new data flow within your company, kind of similar to the financial structure or another structure, but this is totally new, so people need to get used to it. And also in creating it, it's really good to take into account and what you're going to use it for and how your output is going to look like. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Also, if, if the data is not well structured or well stored or yeah, you don't have that structure, the new data flow, as you mentioned, in place, it's really hard to 
use that data and make sure that you are using it properly and that the values are yeah, all as they should be in, in the place that they should be. So that's indeed really important for so that you could reproduce the measurements the next time around. And of course, also, if you want to, to take this from theory to action, we have two tools at EcoChain. So maybe you can tell us, Ike, a bit the difference between the EcoChain Helix and the Mobius just very shortly. Yeah, I mentioned at the beginning, that's good to take into account if you want to include your total product portfolio or you want to focus on a couple of products for R&D. And uh, the first tool, Helix, is if you want to calculate the entire product portfolio. And Mobius is really like a plug and play tool to design and for the research and development department. And it's, yeah, very easy to use. And I think we also have a free trial for 14 days. Yes, exactly. We have a 14 day trial. So if you want to kind of test how, after you've collected the data, how you can actually then work with it, maybe it gives a little bit more of some insights as well into how you can structure it after you are, you've done the collection side and you want to actually do the measurements and improve your products. You can just have a, a little try out with this 14 day trials, but now it is our Q and a time. So, uh, Sasla, could you let us know what all the pressing questions are from the chat and Q and a? Yes, definitely. One of the first things that came up was when you guys were talking about the, the, the Google transport, the Google maps. And there were a lot of questions actually that were about what if my products are transported by railway? So how do you approach that then? Is that different? Because of course, Google Maps also, you know, has its limits. So how do you approach that? For that, we also use Google Maps for railway, but that's only for passengers, of course. So I would have to check uh, with my colleagues if there's a specific site that we use for that. But there's also specific references for railway use and transport. All right. Thank you. Then another really interesting question that I got was about, it's kind of ISO related. So do, first of all, does this data need to be validated for you to use it in an LCA? And how can you uh, do this in such a way that it's also ISO qualified? Mm -hmm. Well, what you can do is verify your LCA. And what you then have to do is choose standards uh, that you want to comply with. So you have in the ISO 1404, 40 and 40, well, no, 44 and also the 25, but for that, you need to use certain regulations and rules. And if you create uh, this LCA, they also have to write a background report, which can be verified. And in there you have to store all the data sources that you used. So this is a pretty elaborate report that you need to have verified by a third party. And then in the end, you can use it, for example, to publish it in an EPD platform and you can share it with your supplier, with your customers. So yes, it is ISO verified then because it's, all, it's always following the, the highest ISO standard for LCA. And I think it's also important to note that there are, of course, tools that can help you also do this in a structured way and in the right way that will make it easier for you to also, you know, stick to the ISO certifications. And that's also what we, of course, do with EcoChain. But I think that's a really important question. And I saw that there were multiple people who asked it. So thank you so much. Then 
then somebody also asked, because in the beginning we were saying, okay, um, if you have gaps or if you don't have certain information yet from suppliers, so more about the too little data, you were talking about these databases that can help out, uh, especially EcoInvent. Now, I got a couple of questions of people who were wondering, so where do you find this this database? Where Where can you find this information? Is this open or not? Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, of course. Well, EcoInvent is a worldwide database that has over 800,000 data points. So it's used internationally and uh, you can go to the site and create a user account. So that's a guest user account where you can see the references that are available, but not the environmental impact that's collected because for that you will need a license and you can buy that license yourself or you can access it via EcoChain, for example, so you can access it as well. I see someone was struggling to understand the name. It's called Eco Invent. Yeah, that's good. And there are other types of databases also available. For example, the National Milieu Database, which is very common in the Netherlands. So, of course, we are talking about uh, big product portfolios and more individual products, right? This is also the, the, the distinction we make with our tools, for example. So, is a manufacturer has a different type of products? I think you already dived into it a little bit. But if you have different types of products that you make, uh, how do you define how much energy you point to which product type? Yeah, that's a question you have to ask for the process engineer of your own production facility. That's not something we can decide for you, but we can help by, for example, asking, okay, which types of products go through which process? Um, how much more energy intensive is this process compared to the other one? Um, so we can help a bit with that, but this is really the information that your process engineer has to provide. We still have five minutes. So sorry, guys, there are a lot of questions in here, but you can always reach out to Honey, Egon and I and just ask them. I think you will have our email. So feel free to send us an email anytime with your questions. So what if you are a project-based company? So rather than you have, you know, certain product lines all the time, you have just different production lines. So default production lines, so different materials and processes all the time. How do you approach that if you want to do company footprints or well, footprints over your portfolio? I think what's important there is that you have to collect all the information for each project then in that way. So you cannot, I think you cannot really use the year totals of the usage celebrations, for example, but you will have to measure it per project. And then for the other types of information, so the bill of materials of your project, it will be longer because more stuff is in there, of course, uh, because it's a project, but it's, it's also possible. Yeah. Definitely. We also have a couple of clients who do it like that. Great. So this one is actually also really interesting. This person works in a secondhand industry and he or she would like to estimate the avoided impact of reusing a product or versus incinerating it versus buying a brand new one. So does this person have to assume that because it has a second life, you can avoid all the environmental impact that comes from production and transport of brand new products? So yeah. how, how does that work? Well, that's a very interesting question in uh, the LCA land. So this is a topic under debate as well, uh, because you have several methods that you can follow and several allocation methods for that. It depends on which method you are using, which, which you can apply. For example, in the building and construction sector, uh, you can assume that after the end of waste points, sorry, if this gets a bit technical, but after the end of waste points and you can enter the 
the secondary materials, or so the second life cycle, you can enter it burden-free. So that means there's no environmental impact from the first life cycle transfer to the second one. However, this does not apply to all sectors, and there's different allocation methods, as I mentioned. For example, the environmental footprint 3.0 methods, that's for outside of the construction sector, those call it different methods. So if you want to know more about this, I would say uh, just send me an email or Zanzela and we can talk about it for hours. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Yes, yes. All right. I think then this, uh, this is going to be the last question. What do you do with a large portfolio, for example, 10,000 products? Uh, you can't measure them all. Well, Ika, <laughs> how does but that work? If you want to, you can measure them all, but I just wouldn't advise it. So I really yeah, try to create these, these maybe bits higher categories that you can measure because I, I cannot really imagine that all the projects that you create are really so different from each other. There must be kind of groupings available uh, that would be better to focus on first. And then I would say if you have 10 thousands of projects, just start with the higher categories. And if you see there's really large impacts on one category, for example, then you go deeper and try to divide them into more product categories. Could you mention maybe what you mean by if there's a large impact on a category? So for example, for the clothing example, if you have jeans and t-shirts and you see that the jeans are very high on environmental impact, then you want to specify the jeans further down into more categories and see, okay, which type of jeans have the highest impact or is it just all the jeans? That's exactly of course. All right. Well, I think uh, we are meeting our time limit. So you can always uh, send us an email if your question didn't get answered. I'm so sorry about that. Then I also saw a couple of mes uh, messages about, okay, can we find a little bit more information on your, your software? Yes, of course, it's all on our website as well. And if you're really focusing, for example, uh, on a product specifically, or just a couple of products, you can try out Mobius, which is our sustainable design tool. Yes. And also, if there's some uh, bigger questions, we'll also try to address those in our social media. So uh, on our LinkedIn and potentially on our next episodes uh, of our podcast or in our next webinars. All right. Thank you very much for joining and uh, yeah, speak to you soon, hopefully again. 